Open your Bible to John 17. We're going to finish this wonderful chapter today and look for God's blessing as we do so. After, uh, after Bible study on Thursday night at my house, I was kind of cold. And uh, well, after we have Bible study, we have food. You know, it's kind of a tradition. Whenever we get together, we like to have food. And so it's mostly healthy, by the way, at our house. A lot of fruit and a little caramel to dip it in, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so we have some treats and stand around and visit. And uh, I was kind of cold, so I went and got my blankie and uh, sat in one of the chairs, put my blankie on, and, and a couple of the ladies that will go unnamed thought I was trying to give them a hint that it was time to get out because it was time for me to go to bed. And uh, that was not the case. I was just kind of cold, so I went and got my blankie. That's what I do. We all have blankets in our family that were made by my mom. And my mom's uh, grandma nickname that my son gave her way back in the day when he was about this tall was Binka. And we're not quite sure where that came from. We have a couple of uh, mythologies about it. But, but so they're Binka blankets. And she made one for the kids or something, and then we all had to have them. And then... Mine wasn't quite big enough. I said, look, I need one a little longer and a little wider, so I have a special bink blanket, and she just made one for, uh, for Kylie, I think, and uh, so the tradition goes on. And there's nothing more wonderful than to get in the lazy boy and get the bink blanket all around you, you know, <laughs> hunker down, feel warm. I have a warm blanket for you today from God's Word. Uh, Wonderful truth enunciated by Christ himself that helps us to understand his love for us. My goal today is that Christ's love would so overwhelm you that it would come to dominate your life. The love of Christ is so overwhelming, so overwhelmingly wonderful that it ought to dominate my life. Let's read the, the very end of this chapter 17, verses 24 through 26. This is a prayer of Christ, right before he goes into the events of the crucifixion. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them." This is an incredible prayer, but it just seems to me that Christ has saved the best for last. And uh, what I see here is Christ's generous love for us. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's not just saying, Father, I'm praying for these folks so that they'll make it to heaven. He's saying, I want them to be with me, to be with me. John MacArthur commented this way, It's not difficult to understand that believers want to be with Christ, but it staggers the imagination to realize that He 
wants them to be with him. I have a friend who loves the Celtic women music group. If you don't know who that is, you're miss, you, have, you don't watch PBS, I guess. These three or four gals that sing uh, Celtic songs, Irish songs, and play the violin and so on. and Very wonderful music, beautiful women. And uh, he and his daughter in particular really love this group. They got a chance to go see them. And I don't know if they paid for this or won a contest or what, but somehow they got to go backstage and meet them. And oh man, it was a big deal. And, and, uh, and you know, if, if I told you about this guy and what he does for a living, you'd think, what in the world? But he, he just couldn't, this one particular one, they really love this one gal, you know. And so they got a chance to be there, meet her, and get their picture taken and so on. And, and then... That's it. The Celtic women don't have time for you. Except maybe two minutes, right? But the Lord of the universe says, I want you to be with me for eternity. Wow. He has time for us. He wants us to be with him. It's even more incredible as we think about who we are in comparison to him. One author very poetically put it this way, there in the darkness, on the road to Gethsemane, as Jesus is walking and praying and talking, he was surrounded by a group of men whom this world's great people would not have looked at twice. Unlearned and ignorant men, that was their contemptuous opinion of them. They were not polished or cultured members of the social elite. They were not successful financiers controlling commercial empires. They were not the intellectuals of the day. They were not scions of noble descent. They were not powerful members of the ruling establishment. They wore homespun peasant clothes. They were fishermen folk from the north speaking the native Aramaic with a thick, country accent. They were a motley group, typical of the majority of those down through the ages who have given their hearts to Christ. They barely understood much of what he said. They would run away at the first sign of serious trouble. They could not be compared for a moment with the shining ones who surrounded his throne on high. In the original order of creation, they were lower than the angels. Gabriel the messenger angel or Michael the martial angel were far greater and more gifted than any member of Adam's race, let alone this particular group. Yet Jesus prayed, Father, I will that they be with me where I am. And not only they, but us. That was his desire, his last I will in the prayer. To me, this brings an entirely wonderful and fresh layer of meaning to these words. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. See, I think we look at this and just say, well, we get to go to heaven someday. And that's, that's good enough. But it goes way beyond that. Jesus loves us like we love a loved one here. Last weekend, Sue and I were able to get away for a night and just be together without the distractions of home or work. And I know when the nest is empty, it's not supposed to be a distraction at home, but it is. 
And it was a delight. It's a breath of fresh air. I look forward to being with my wife when I can. I still remember looking across the back of the band class in college and thinking, I want to spend some time with her. And Jesus is looking across eternity and saying, I want you to be with me. He's excited about that. It's not some kind of a duty or a drudgery for him. He wants us to be with him. But he's not just talking about being with him. He he goes beyond that. Look what he says in verse 24. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That's heaven, right, in his presence. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. Do you remember this episode from the life of Moses? So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. I have a personal relationship with you. And Moses said, Please, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness to pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord Jehovah before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you stand on a rock. So shall it be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen." Moses said, I want to see you. I'm talking to you. I'm aware of you. But I want to see you face to face. And God said, can't happen. You're not ready for it, Moses. He didn't tell Moses the whole story. But the truth is, Moses wasn't ready for it. As close as God and Moses were, Moses' sins weren't forgiven. Because the sins were not forgiven until Christ died on the cross. And so Moses wasn't ready to see the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The best that I can define it is this. The glory of God is the visible, full manifestation of his righteous character. Look at the impact of the glory of God. All the way at the end of the Bible, as we read about the future time, it says the city, the new Jerusalem that God will have us for us to live in, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. This glory that Jesus is talking about us seeing is able to illuminate the world. Boom, when it shows. And that's why God doesn't let it be seen now, because it would be so bright and so impactful, it would consume sinners. And it would cause us to to withdraw and say, I'm not ready, because we haven't been made perfect yet either, ready to see it. This glory is what Jesus left in heaven when it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, having the glory of God, the outward visible demonstration of the character of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the appearance of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus laid aside this magnificent glory. But there's coming a day 
when we will see him as he is in the full demonstration of his glory. Moses wanted to see God, but couldn't. He wasn't ready. Paul saw God. You remember Paul's vision of heaven? And it was, he said, I saw things that cannot be expressed. Peter and James got a taste of the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were so overwhelmed, they just babbled. We will get to see and experience the glory of God, and it won't consume or overwhelm us. It will be the sunshine of our soul, like looking up at the sun and letting it warm our face on one of these cool fall days. Boy. There will be no more curse But the throne of God and of his Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. That's what's ahead for us, Christian. And it's ahead for us because Jesus wants to share it with us. He says, I want them to be with me, and I want them to see my glory. I want them to see the magnificence that is there. And it's not because of his pride. It's because of what he knows it will do to us and for us. And we will be so overwhelmed with the magnificence, we will think, what an incredible experience. I could never have imagined this. Wow. I get the feeling in these verses of Christmas Day, but not Christmas Day from the receiver's point of view, I get the feeling of Christmas Day from the giver's point of view. I see Jesus here in verse 24 like the parent who's bought this wonderful gift for the child and they've got it there under the tree and they can't wait for Christmas Day. They're just waiting because they just know when Johnny opens that up, he's going to be so excited. And the parent's going to go, can I play with it? I get this feeling from Jesus. Father, I want them to be with me so that they can see my glory. And the apostles are sitting there going, they're not getting it. They couldn't get it yet. It wasn't, they weren't able. But we're here today and we're able to grasp this and to realize what a, what a wonderful love that Christ has for us. Now, his love goes beyond eternity. And I'm going to go off the grid here a minute because I've added something to my notes. Because as I meditated more about this passage, I realized there's another element to the love of Christ in verse 26. I've declared to them your name, and I will declare it, so that, not only so that that they'll be in heaven, but so that the love which, with which you loved me might be in them, and I might be in them. The love of Christ expressed not only gives us a wonderful, glorious future in heaven, a personal, face-to-face relationship with Christ, but it gives us the possibility of living out His love right now. And the blessing that I would ask you to just recognize today is this. Every time you're able to be patient, that's Christ in you. 
Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul said, well, The great blessing is Christ in me, the hope of glory, but also the demonstration of love, the demonstration of kindness, the demonstration of caring for others, the ability to count it all joy when the trials of life come along. All of those things come from the love of Christ being placed in us. And what is even more incredible than, than just the blessings that he gives, what, is, what demonstrates his love for us is the simple requirement of God. And that simple requirement of God in order to receive his love is here in verse 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world, the unbelieving world around, they have not known you, but I have known you, and these the apostles that he was talking to, and earlier he says those who will believe, that's us, they have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will continue to declare it. God has a simple requirement of us in order to enter into the blessing of his love, and that is that we have to know God. We have to be related to God, and that comes through our knowledge of God's truth. We learn God's truth and then we are able to believe. When Christ says of his followers, they have known that you sent me and they know your name, it's another way to say that the true followers of God have known and believed the truth about God the Father and from God the Father about the person of Christ. The most notable part of that truth perhaps might be here, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If you want to know whether or not you are a child of God, the starting point is to say, do you believe in God and do you believe in Christ whom God sent? In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which in reverse means the same thing. Anyone can come to the Father through Christ. In John 17, Christ draws a clear contrast between people who did not know God and did not believe in God's truth and those who did. Those who believed, who have known and believed, will experience the wonders of Christ face to face in heaven and the blessings of that love now. Those who do not will not know that. And what's interesting here is that Christ appeals to the righteousness of God. O righteous Father. What does the righteousness of God mean to us in salvation? It means two things. Number one, that God demands absolute righteousness from us. He says, you, have, you want to come to heaven? You want to be with me? You want to be a, you want to be a co-heir with Christ? You have to be absolutely righteous. We say, I can't do it. That's right. That's why my son died on the cross. His payment has taken care of your sin if you will believe that. And when you believe that, you are made righteous. But there is a flip side to the righteousness of God, and it's this. It's his covenant agreement with you. He says, if you will believe in that sacrifice, I will save you. It's not a maybe or a hope so. It is a commitment. It's a covenant. We, you know, we, 
on your Bible, it may say, or maybe in the cover page, it'll say, with the Holy Bible, with the Old Testament and the New Testament. It could say, with the Old Covenant and with the New Covenant. That's what it's talking about. The new covenant of God, the new agreement of God with man is this. I will make a new heart in you if you will believe in me. It's a legally binding agreement, if you will. He will not welch out on it. He will not change his mind. It guarantees that if we accept the payment of Christ by faith, then God is bound to forgive. What a wonderful blessing that is. Now, the, the, the question we need to ask ourselves is this then. How do we respond to this generous love of God? Well, the first response that God wants is the response of faith. We've already been talking about that. God wants us essentially to return the love that he has extended to us. You're having the privilege of seeing two more of my grandchildren today. Uh, Stephanie's sister... Uh, Molly is here, and looks like they're in the nursery right now. But, uh, um, and, and by the way, I noticed another new child here today. That's right. Somebody else's grandchild is here today, Corky Cantrell. So be sure and see their beautiful baby, too. Beautiful little girls all around. My granddaughter from eastern Washington, who's here to visit, won't have anything to do with me. Sue holds her, and I come over and go, Ooh you know, do the grandfather thing, and she goes, (laughs) get away from me, you big scary man. (laughs) You know, and I keep trying, and I keep trying. God has extended his love to us. He sent his son to die for us, and he says, look, will you return my love? And the way he asks us to return his love is, first of all, by faith, by believing, by believing in Christ as our Savior. How do you feel when you extend love and it isn't returned? Now, I, I understand in the grandfatherly thing, that, you know, don't, don't worry, my feelings aren't hurt here, I understand. But there are times when we reach out to people and we do our best to love people, and it does not work, and it hurts. God has gone way beyond anything you can imagine to extend his love to you. And so the question I ask today is, how are you responding? The first response he wants is faith. After you respond in faith, then he asks about another response. And that is the response of our love back to him. Our faith in Christ as Savior is a one-time response that causes us to be born again as children of God. But as children of God, our response to His love is to be an ongoing, developing love life. See, it's not terribly hard to say, well, of course I love God. But our love for God is more clearly defined by examining the loves that compete that compete for our love for Christ. And these are not in any particular order, except the order that I thought of them, but the first is this. One of the loves that competes for our love for Christ is our flesh, our physical passions. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and I now tell you weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, 
and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now these verses are talking particularly about false teachers, and I understand that. But if the characteristic of a false teacher is, is that he is all excited about his physical pleasure, that teaches me something about what it means to be minded on earthly things, not on heavenly things. God has said, look, do you love me more than your physical pleasure? Are you willing to look at your food and say there is a righteous way to eat and an unrighteous way, and I have to love God so much that I will do the right thing with my food? There is a righteous way to use sexuality and an unrighteous way. Do I love God so much that I will use my sexuality righteously? Or do I frankly love my flesh more than God? See, I think sometimes we need to, you know, we're we're motivated by rules to an extent. Well, this is right and this is wrong. I should do this. I shouldn't do this. I think the the highest motivation we can have is the love of Christ. Say, wow, look how much he loves me. Look how much he's put himself out for me. How can I ignore his will for my life? There's another love that gets between us and Christ sometimes, and it's our family or our relationships. In Luke 14, Jesus said some hard words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We can almost understand how certain physical passions get out of hand, but we look at this and say, are you telling me I can love my family too much? Well, it appears that that's what Jesus was saying. It appears that he was saying, there are times when you're going to have to choose between your love for me or your love for them. Or perhaps your love for me needs to be supreme, and then out of it needs to flow your love for them. Do you love me so much that you would treat your family righteously? Or are you just all about family affection or some other relationship? Maybe it's about a relationship that's not family yet. But you can't live without the relationship. I have to have this relationship. I have to have this person or my life won't be complete. Really? It looks to me like Jesus said, you need to be depending on me for the completion of your life and then loving other people out of that love. There's a third third love that gets in the way of our love for Christ, and it's the love for fame or personal recognition. Verse about another false teacher, bad leader in the church. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, he does not receive us. Um, Diotrephes loves to have the preeminence. Do you love personal recognition so much that you would break the commands of Christ to get it? Do you put yourself first? Do you promote yourself first? Or are you so attached to Christ and so in love with Him that you don't care whether people recognize you or not? Boy, that's a love that runs deep. Our pride. There's another love, a love for our fortune or our material goods. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Now, God doesn't say there's anything wrong with having money. He says, do you love money or the stuff that it brings, or do you love me? Material goods, things of this life. There's another one. The last one that I'm going to mention, our future or security in life. Then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are immediately thinking, oh, are you telling me I have to sell everything I have and give it away? And Jesus said, no, here's the problem. They were astonished at his words, but he said, look, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Do you know why health care is such a huge issue for our country today? And please understand, I'm not against anybody getting good health care. But one of the things that drives it is security in life. Because unbelievers have no security beyond the security they can create. And health care is one way that they think they can create physical security. It's the same thing with social security or investments or you name it. And certainly, I'm not against anybody being ripped off for their retirement. But this extreme commitment to things that will extend my life and make my life good is because there is no great life in eternity in their future. And so they love the stuff of this life and they try to amass it to make their life secure. And as we, as we think about these loves, we have to think about not having a divided loyalty. I had a fellow walk into my office many years ago, and he said, I have a problem. I'm in love with two women. And I said, and you're married to one of them, right? And he said, yeah. And I'd never seen this guy before in my life. You know what the real problem for that fellow was? He didn't know the definition of love. He wasn't in love with two women. He was in heat with at least one woman, and he was committed by a piece of paper to another woman. And he needed to step right back and say, you know who I love? I love myself. That's my problem. And that's often our problem in our relationship with Christ. Oh, yeah, we want to go to heaven someday. But really, I, you know, that's a way out there. I'm going to take care of my life right now. And I don't want him intruding on this. You see, love is not an emotion that rises up automatically within you when you're in the presence of another person. Real love is a commitment of relationship demonstrated in caring deeds. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you really are committed to me, you will do what is right for me. John put it this way in 1 John, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God won't share your love. If you claim to love God, but you never say no to your fleshly desires, then you love your flesh more than God. If you claim to love but never put service to him above time with family, then you love your family more than God. If you claim to love God but are constantly working at making sure that people notice and recognize you, then you love your own status more than God. 
If you say you love God, but you cannot generously give away your money and possessions, then you love your stuff more than God. If you say that you love God, but you work, your work and concern and worry is all about your future, then you love your control over your destiny more than God. One of the great joys of, a, of this crisp fall weather is getting into bed and let the covers warm you up. and It gets all warm inside there, you know. And one of the challenges is in the morning. <laughs> and you think, oh, it's so cozy. Oh, oh, I want to I hunker down. Friends, I really believe the love of God is a warm blanket. That it, and it's so wonderful that it will protect and guide and comfort and enrich every part of your life if you'll make it the dominating love of your life. Heavenly Father, help us. Oh, we love so many things. We struggle to say no to other loves. Help us to do that. Help us to see the great love that Christ has for us and to, to attach ourselves to Him and to live under that blanket of love every day. I pray in Christ's name, amen.